0: to the Practical Missions Podcast. I'm your host. I'm always amazed to see how difficulties and suffering affects different people. I've seen many people walk away from the faith because of the suffering and difficulty they experience in their life. They look at their situation and how bad it is and they say, if God is real, if God is loving, if God is in control, he would never let me experience these things. And then they, they're out. They walk away. But then there are other people like my guest today who experienced some of the deepest tragedies and sorrows and losses I've ever heard of in my life. And so far from God being the source of their suffering, he's the source of their comfort and their strength. I'm so glad my guest was willing to share her story with us today. I hope there are lessons for us to take away from it and I also hope that this episode today helps us better take care of those who are suffering in our midst. I think your story is an interesting story. I think your story is, everybody's story is interesting maybe, but you actually have a unique twist, a few unique twists of your journey in cross-cultural work in the Middle East. And uh, maybe you could just share a little bit with us about, yeah, what, what life has looked like over the last however many years for you?
1: I was actually born and raised in Colombia, South America. When I was seven, I read this lady's biography of her work in Africa in the early 1900s. So then I was convinced that I would be working the rest of my life in Africa. Mm. Absolutely convinced. So then in high school, I realized West Africa, that's French. I already knew Spanish. I went like an exchange student to Paris. And there I met two single ladies learning French to go to Chad. And also I was determined even from a very young age to be in the medical field. And they told me all about this hospital in Chad. I was 15. When I went back to my home country, I told my parents, I'm headed for Africa. And this is when
0: you were 15 years old? Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: So I went to Chad and I was in the middle of pre-med and I met my husband-to-be there. I was 20. He was 19. He had never been to high school. He grew up in the bush.
0: Let me just say your husband-to-be was from your passport country.
1: He actually... Yes and no. He had dual citizenship.
0: But he wasn't an African. No,
1: no. And he worked at the hospital. He wasn't
0: wasn't ethnically African.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Although his personality was very, very much so. But he said to me, oh, that's no problem that I haven't even been to high school. I'm going to be a doctor. And I was like, that's a joke because... I was already in pre-med, and I knew how hard it was. So how does that bring me to the Middle East? God worked a ton of miracles, and we got married. That was one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because I was not convinced that at all at first that this would work. And I switched into nursing. He got into medicine. Uh, We went back to Chad, Hmm. and it was our dream. In fact, we took everything that we needed and more we took two kitchen sinks literally a mm. container to build our own house in the bush we took a crash cart for the hospital and we did all kinds of extra education mm. for all of this to work in tropical medicine there and within two and a half years of being there everything fell apart mm. the hospital closed our vision was in ashes we were in ashes. Mm. (laughs) We had three little boys, but our marriage was not in good shape because we had already been married like at least 15 years and poured our hearts into preparing for this dream Mm. and this vision that we thought God had for us. Mm. So we actually went into some serious counseling. Mm. It's this place like a rehab for people who've had PTSD, people who are Their lives are falling apart for many reasons. And we actually were there, even my children got counseling, for six months. And God really worked. He really worked. He healed our marriage. And it was like better than day one. I mean, (laughs) like a hundred times better. Then we were given a choice to either head back to the continent of Africa in a different country or to come to the Middle East. And my husband was like, not going to the Middle East. I'm 40 years old. I'm not learning Arabic. Hmm. That ain't happening. For the other hand, I felt God leading us here. But I had learned in counseling to say it once and keep my mouth shut and let God do the work. And he went on a trip to talk with leaders in different places. And he came back 10 days later and he said, guess what? We're going to the Middle East. Wow. And I was like, yeah, I kind of knew that, but I was waiting for you to come up (laughs) with it. (laughs) And that's how we ended up here in 2000.
0: Wow. Wow. So you ended up in a missionary hospital. Mm -hmm. Is that right?
1: Yes, we did. My husband was a pediatric infectious disease doctor.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Amazing. And how long were you guys uh, serving in that capacity?
1: Here in the Middle East, in that hospital, we were there seven years.
0: You had your three children with you? I had
1: three boys the oldest, was, after a year and a half here, he, he was ready to go into high school, and he wanted us to homeschool him. And my husband had been homeschooled. Hmm. I was like, uh, okay, if you really wanna be homeschooled, you gotta cooperate. And of course, a teenager that's-
0: Struggles um, to cooperate with yeah. mom.
1: So we struggled a lot in in that uh, that decision. But we, gave, we told him, you're going to, to Germany, you're going to a boarding school, and you've got to give it one semester. Mm. And he was really angry. It was a really tough, one of the toughest moments in parenting. And he came back at Christmas, and we were washing dishes together in the kitchen. I said, what do you want to do? What, what do you think of boarding school? Mm. And he said, well, it's the worst, best thing you've ever done for me, mom. <laughs> And I can't wait to get back. Wow. So that was like a mi- miracle too. Wow. Uh,
0: what were your education options for high school at that time in in the city you were living in? Were there no options for foreign high school students besides homeschooling or boarding
2: school?
1: The decision for boarding school, it would have been a good one and a half, two hour commute each way hmm. into the city where there was a real option. We had encouraged our children to learn Arabic, but we didn't push it on them. They'd been through quite a bit of trauma and loss. Mm. They had already learned French when we were in Europe. They had been to a French school and they learned it fluently. And then they had learned the tribal language where we were. Mm. And I was like, I really, we tried, we paid for lessons. We did everything we could. And they were pretty resistant at Mm. that point. They were tired of of new faces, new places and loss.
0: How do those feelings from your children weigh on you and your husband as a as parents? Must be very challenging.
1: It was we felt mostly we were okay with it. We we had learned to be, we're learning to let our children be themselves. Hmm. Whatever that was. The thing was that we were criticized a lot by coworkers. For what? For not it, like putting them in like an Arabic school Uh or forcing Mm -hmm. language on them, or really trying harder or whatever harder is to integrate them in with neighbor boys. Mm -hmm. We had like a game room in our house and we had a foosball table, ping pong table, and we encouraged neighborhood boys to come over and play with them. But inevitably there was a lot of things broken. It didn't turn out too well. As much as we tried, the boys weren't that comfortable around the neighborhood kids. And so there were some friends, but not Mm. as much as we wanted.
0: What happened after that? You guys were serving for seven years, did you say? Mm. Seven years? What happened after that?
1: So then the company we were with asked my husband to be in leadership for uh, the worldwide company. There were 11 medical centers that they had all over the world, Mm. and they wanted him to be what they called a regional director. His gifting wasn't just medicine. He was really, really good because of, I think, growing up in Africa, he was really good at listening and telling stories and uh, relationships. like. He could go into a really explosive or tense situation Hmm. and kind of over a week, like diffuse it. And he often was really gifted at bringing reconciliation.
0: Tell me about how your husband got sick. And where, where were you guys at at that time?
1: We were in North America. He actually was traveling to many countries. So he was over India, Nepal, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Swaziland, all of the Middle East, including Turkey. And he had to travel to these places all the time. Mm. Leadership encouraged him to do a lot over Internet phone calls and all that. He was like, that just doesn't work. Mm. These situations are delicate. If you're not there in person to see the situation mm. and really assess it, you, you can't manage. So uh, he traveled too much as it was basically it. And sometimes mm. when he came back, he never even took comp time. And he had just been in Chad for three weeks. This was in, in 2011. And he came home and he didn't feel well. And I was worried because he'd been on a lot of flights. I was worried about like blood clots and things like that. Mm. But I had already sensed that his health was, was not really good. He wasn't getting enough rest. He had a lot of burdens for people. Hmm. He spent hours praying for those people overseas that he worked with. And the hours on the phone at all hours of the day because their daytime was our nighttime. Hmm. One of his first jobs in leadership was to help get the release of a worker in Africa. So he was with the State Department, the Red Cross, all these phone calls at all Hmm. hours. And then if there was like an international situation like with bin Laden, the workers that were in that area of Pakistan, all of those were phone calls immediate, like tell your people to evacuate, you know, get on the phone right now.
0: High intense situations. Yeah.
1: So I could see the stress having a real wear on his health. And even six months before he passed away, I said to him, if you don't slow down, I sense that you won't be here next year. Wow. If things don't change. And he said, let me pray about it. Because he'd already set forth a vision for that next year's goals for work. And he came back and he said to me, I don't sense the Lord telling me to change anything. And I just, I wept. I -hmm. just wept. And he said, I'll get more life insurance, was what he said.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) That's That's like a
0: dark joke, isn't
1: it? (laughs) For him, it was like. Just let's just do this because I want you taken care of. And that path of insurance, by the way, would have been to fruition the day after he died, literally. But he hadn't signed the paper. Hmm. But, you know, my husband was never my provider. So he'd come back from Chad. He was very tired. He even tried to call in sick and he was asked to come because it was just a meeting where you're sitting around talking with leadership about the situations and so he we went it was a very hot day of july a very hot day like 105 fahrenheit he started having chest pains and they said oh it's the chinese food we had for lunch we'll take you to the emergency room at four thirty when the meeting ends so they did and he stepped out of the car at the emergency room and stepped into heaven oh yeah, yeah.
0: wow Never even made it into the door? No. Wow. And what was the diagnosis?
1: He had a heart attack. Wow. I did get an autopsy because it has implications for my three boys. Hmm. He was 52. Also because I wondered if it was a blood clot. Hmm. And so they just said basically it was a a massive uh, MI.
0: I mean, can you say, like with all reverence, it sounds like he worked himself to death.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel that that was the case because I kept, I kept as a nurse, I, I, I just knew, I just knew, but maybe it was God's, maybe mm. it was the Holy Spirit, mm. but I knew something was wrong and I knew if things didn't change this, or maybe God was preparing me mm. for widowhood. Mm. I don't know, but I knew.
0: I mean, this is an unexpected, massive trauma and change, a change change forever and a forever change how did you take this
1: there were it was what my counselor called a complicated grief it definitely was a complicated grief every day you fill out forms forms for your driver's license forms for everything and it's s for single Mm -hmm. m for married, w for widowhood and when i went to fill out my first form i started to circle m And then I saw the W, Hmm. and I thought, just like that, the M flips. Wow. And that's how fast it happens. Wow. Yeah.
0: How old are your children?
1: So uh, my youngest is 15. My middle son uh, just turned 18. My oldest was just turning 21. He hadn't turned 21 yet.
0: What was the support you needed at that time were you able to get what you needed from your church the organization your family what what did that look like
1: oh i'm not sure you really want to hear this so you you can edit this if you want (laughs) okay my home area was about nine hours away by car Hmm. that we were living where we were because of the office so that wasn't home to me Hmm. and we were so involved in the company Hmm. we did go to a, a local church But we didn't get very involved because of travel, lots of travel, and I really invested in helping the boys readjust to another culture again because they had been away since ages four, seven, and 10. Hmm. That's what my priority was first, the kids and the company. So I didn't have a lot of that support. Unfortunately, three weeks before this happened to my husband, I had been going into the office one day. I worked in the office. When I got there, my uh, supervisor was walking out with one of the administrative assistants and walking down the stairs. And she was walking with a cane, and it was summertime, and her right leg was super swollen from Mm. the knee down
2: Mm.
1: it didn't look good and she had never been that way so his car was parked there the door was open i said what are you doing he said i'm taking her to the emergency room i said what i said that looks like a blood clot in her leg i and she had already come down three flights of stairs oh i I, there's no elevator in the building i said you should call an ambulance Mm. that blood clot can travel just like that, to her heart or her brain. Do not take her to the emergency room. He goes, oh, it's two miles away. We'll be fine. And you have work to do, because he was my supervisor. So I went up to my desk. I started working. He came back. He said, see, she's in the emergency room, and we just saved our our company $500 on an ambulance. And I said, no, what you did was wrong, medically wrong. He said, well, you just need to mind your own business. When my husband had this chest pain and they took him to the emergency room on this really hot day instead of calling an ambulance, it was the same gentleman. When I got to the emergency room, there was a a gentleman there who was like a a valet. I got there and I saw their car and I said, where are the men in that car? He said, was one of them your husband? I said, yeah. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I I don't think he made it, but they're coding him right now. So I ran in. And I was watching the code and my supervisor was with me, standing next to me in the code room. They were doing a full code on my husband. A nurse came and stood next to me as well as support. Hmm. He turned to me in the middle of the code and he said, this was his fault, your husband's fault.
0: Oh my goodness. And
1: I said, what? And he said, yeah, he's a doctor. He could have told me it was our heart attack. I would have called 911. I was speechless. The nurse turned to me and said, do you want him here? And I said, mm-hmm. no, I don't. She asked him to go to the wow. lobby. When they finished the code 35 minutes later, I went out to the lobby. The whole leadership team was there. They were very upset with me. They said, what did I know about his health that would have led to this? And I found out later because... They had called a lawyer already while they were coding and told the lawyer what had happened three weeks earlier and that it was the same leader who I had scolded who drove. And he said, you know, she could sue for wrongful death. This has happened at work. She had already cautioned you about health. She's a nurse. She knows her stuff, and you didn't do the right thing. So you need to cut your relationship with her. Completely like don 't speak to her if you don 't have to don 't answer phone calls don 't come visit her uh, basically uh, the company did that, mm. and I was only earning twenty four thousand dollars a year mm. it wasn 't about the money mm. I wanted to help the cause what what I was working with, and I wanted to be involved. I could have gotten a secular nursing job that paid three or four times that salary. You know, when my husband talked about getting life insurance, Mm. he also said, I think you need to leave the company and go get a job. Mm. I was like, no way. I got so angry. Mm. I was like, are you serious? God has called me just as much as Mm. he called you. All my life, in fact, like seriously, I-
0: Since you were a small girl, yeah. yeah.
1: I'm like, and you're telling me to go out Mm. and earn big bucks i also learned that there's a lot of things in life you can't control and i just better go ahead and take steps to do what he said even if i didn't like it Mm. it was just a matter of submitting because i knew god could close every door and sure enough i mean i would interview and i never get a call back Mm. interview didn't get a call back interview didn't get a call back and i was fine (laughs) that made me actually (laughs) happy yeah you know And so my husband died on a Thursday, Hmm. and I had two job offers on Monday. Wow. But I had to give them an answer and go to work right away, like um, right away.
0: So it's like an answer to prayer, but also no time for processing and grieving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had had two weeks. I had two weeks because I had to give notice to the company, and then I... um, yeah i mean i see you know and god knew it was just like getting on a plane and landing in a new place Mm. that's what it was like Mm. um
0: transition that you were used to
1: yeah hard hard but not the first time not the first time yeah Mm. and uh i had been out of actual like nursing for years Mm. like real nursing like in a technical sense and god just undertook again. It was mm. it was to me as I look back, it was just utterly God that led each step of the way mm. and provided. And those are the things like in my story where I can just show you time after time that God was my husband, my true husband, mm. and that he loved me and he had it. Mm. He he had it. And I even told my sons when we viewed my husband's body for the last time and we were standing around and i said you know god wasn't over in africa when this happened Mm. he was right here Mm. he is right here and he's he loves us i don't know how to explain it i don't know Mm. how we're going to get through it Mm. but i do know that god's got this
0: it's amazing to me that sometimes in the midst of tragedy and deep profound pain Mm. some people shake their fist at God Mm. and say how dare you but for you the reality of God's presence Mm. was a comfort
1: yeah it really was the Psalms were my lament and Mm. my comfort in particular but there was so much that in scripture that came alive Mm. in a way it never never had before Mm. about trusting God to do his best for all of us mm. for each of us yeah
0: mm. how long was it for you in the in the recovery process i know we never recover fully right, from right. these things uh but how long was it before you felt like all right like i am i, I have things under control
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah that's funny uh, i don't even have that now but <laughs> no i it was a process every day i went to work was a challenge to not be crying and weeping so i wept all the way there wept all the way home i had this coworker that actually worked in i uh, got a job as a nurse health coach hmm. and i had this gal that was right at the desk next to mine of course she quickly learned my story she isn't a believer either but she said you know i think you need a counselor and I'm like, yeah, but I don't have the money and mm. I don't know who to go to. Mm, yeah. And she goes, What do you mean you don't have the money? You've got a good job and we provide employee assistance program and you get nine free counseling sessions. And then after wow. that, you only pay 20%. And then, and I'm like, What? What is that? Like, <laughs> I never heard
0: of it. Sign me up.
1: <laughs> yeah. So then I said, Okay, sign me up. And she was, she showed me how. And then
2: wow. I was Amen. like so
1: scared because. I had already been in a lot of counseling at the previous years before Mm. from leaving Africa. And I did not want a new age counselor. And how many counselors do you find that understand my heart is really overseas? Yeah. Yeah. Or or the life of a cross-cultural worker in hard places. Yeah. And I I was already a TCK and just Mm. uh, growing up in Colombia and Mm. uh, all that, you know. I, I prayed about it. And she says to me, I said, I'm not sure I can connect with just anybody. Mm. And she goes, no, but it's free, the first nine. So you can go through nine counselors. I'm sure one of them. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I chose the first one on the list. I thought, I'll just start at the top. Start at the top.
0: Start with and whoever's the one, name starts with the A.
1: It, actually, hers started with a Z. Yeah, okay. Z. <laughs> and she was in my zip code. I went and I walk in and there's just bible verses all over the wall wow. and there's books that i'm familiar with and i was just like okay we'll give this a chance i had four years of counseling wow. almost weekly wow. to process a lot one of the things that she said to me like on the third visit what's a dream you've always had that you never realized and i said i always wanted to be a nurse practitioner now, I had one that had just finished college and moved home because of money and trying to get a job. I had one in college that cost a lot of bucks, and I had one in private Christian school.
0: Mm, which is cost, also expensive.
1: It was 10 grand a year. Mm. And I said, what? What? She, she said, "She said, go, go get your master's. Go mm. get your nurse practitioner. I said, well, I haven't been able to do it because we never had the money. And I, I just gave her all these reasons. She goes, but if God's in it... Mm. It's gonna happen. I'm like, are you serious? She said, yeah, shoot for the stars. I think she wanted to say, you've lost everything that meant the most to you. We'll see what God can do now. Hmm. I sure enough got in, I got all kinds of scholarships and my company turned around and helped pay for it too. And they, even when I had to cut back on work for internships, sure, they cut my salary. They were gonna, they had the right to cut my health insurance and Hmm. the boys. Hmm. And they said, oh, no, no, you're earning less money. You're even going to pay less for your health insurance.
0: Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. wow! in the midst of darkness, some light, huh?
1: Yeah. So it was that journey that helped me forgive and work through mm. the complete loss of support. That And I couldn't sell the house. I couldn't move back to my hometown. Mm. The market, it was the recession. The market had dropped out. And I would have, and I had to, I ended up, uh, you know, upside down in the mortgage otherwise. Hmm. So, yeah, there was no way I could move back to all my friends and support. Hmm. So, um, and it wasn't good to uproot the boys again. Hmm. That would have been one more. Uh, Transit, th- massive transition. transition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, I'm guessing that was somewhere in between 2008, 9, 10, something like that.
1: Well, so he died in 2011. Okay. And I, all along, I was telling the boys, because my husband and I had said, we're going back to the Middle East in 2015, mm. period. He was stepping out of leadership. And actually, four days before he died, he said to me, this was four days before he died at breakfast, he said to me one morning, honey, you're right. This is not going well. And every time I try to slow down, they just keep, they keep, they kept giving him more assignments, so they actually wanted him to open a new ministry in France for our company for the arab world muslim world mm. and and they said you 're perfect because you 've lived in the Middle East, you speak some Arabic, and you also speak fluent french mm. and i 'm like, one more country, seriously, mm. and a whole new ministry it was It was really hard uh, so the whole time i 'm in nurse practitioner school and working every day i 'm preparing the boys hearts I said Guys, you know, my heart is really to reach the least reached. Mm. And I'm going back when you guys, you guys are launching. And when you launch, (laughs) believe me, you're getting launched. And I'm back. So uh, I was preparing their hearts. And in 2018, my youngest graduated from uh, college. All three of my boys had good jobs. And I said, I'm moving back to hometown. So I sold the house we were in moved back to my home area to renew, but I had kept in touch with all my previous supporters and I said to them, I'm ready to go back. And wow. they said, We are ready there waiting for you to wow, go back. Wow. Incredible.
0: So how how old were you at this point?
1: Sixty one.
0: Sixty one. Single. Yeah. Widowed. Yeah. And ready to go back out to the Middle East. Yeah. Incredible. Excited. Yeah, really. I really want to get to that part of your story, but I just before we move on, I just want to circle back to to your to your husband and the requirements he had. And it sounds like he was a big plate kind of guy. He could do a lot of things, Mm. very a very capable person. But it also sounds like he was abused by the organization, and no barriers or boundaries, no healthy Mm. borders were there. What what can you speak into like this? Like the saying, the 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 saying, no, or having uh, boundaries, healthy mm. boundaries.
1: Yeah, I mean, the counseling that we had in two in two thousand nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, was all about boundaries, mm. and. It helped.
0: Was it boundaries in the workplace or boundaries in the relationship, or, or was ba- it no
1: boundaries in the workplace hmm. mostly, mostly, because that was his issue. What happened was he did learn a lot about boundaries, and we were determined to keep them when we came. After that is when we came to the Middle East. He did. We both did much better at keeping boundaries here. Hmm. But what happened was the first thing he did as a, a leader going back to the home country to be in leadership was that crisis with the kidnapped person. It was just one major crisis after another. And you Mm -hmm. feel this. This is not just impacting one person or one ministry. It's like these huge fires, you know, Mm -hmm. like, can we put this little fire out before it turns into whatever it would? And it was harder and harder for him to set boundaries. Mm. When we left that counseling place, I said, okay, we've got a timeshare here. We know where to come, but finding the time to get back there, to remind him of those boundaries mm. never happened. Mm. He had such a burden for people hurting.
0: Do you think from an organizational standpoint, like it's good for the organization to know, okay, we well, like, we can't run people down into the ground. Like yeah we can't take all of their time.
1: I think that was one of the biggest weaknesses in this organization. They had two member care people, and both member care people were speaking in to my life and to people's lives, but they and even my husband was working with member care for other hurting workers hmm. trying to set boundaries. It was like the other leaders didn't respect hmm. Member Cares' views. Hmm. I have to say, since I left that organization, and I don't say this with any vindictiveness or resentment, it's just gone way downhill. Hmm. Like, it was a big organization. It's trickled down to hmm. nothing.
0: Yeah, well, I guess you can't abuse your staff for too long before people yeah. start to leave. But you you ended up so you ended up 61 years old you contact your friends and former supporters and you say hey i'm i'm ready to go back out to the middle east i mean was this like exciting and scary uh, decision for you tell me about tell like walk me through that process and what did that look like now going out not as a married person like you were Mm. before but as a single person
1: well when i saw and felt that the leadership of my main church was like a hundred percent behind me. Wow,
0: that's so amazing!
1: I realized this God was in this. Mm. You know, you know, my biggest fear—it was silly stuff. It was just like in Africa, even though we had cobras in the house and <laughs> tarantula, like uh, scorpions and snake. That was not the big deal. That was mm. not the problem. So I, I didn't feel that way here. Like coming back for me the scary part was the fact that my husband could fix anything Mm. that's the truth like if he he couldn't fix it it was probably ready for the jump junkyard and so how am i a spoiled very comfortable wife now adjusting to the fact that in some cases i have to put up with a cold shower because i can't fix the hot water heater those are the things i dreaded i didn't fear i loved the middle east Hmm. i love the people i felt called here i didn't really have fear about that
0: Hmm. what was it like going back without the support of a spouse did you experience uh, a kind of loneliness with the memories of what was i I came out before with a husband with children and now here i am alone like was that a, a difficult thing
1: that came and went various times and still does mm. sometimes like during lockdown especially because i lived in my own apartment by myself i didn't have a roommate and then there's lockdown
0: for, for coronavirus For yeah.
1: coronavirus so it was months and months of mm. but god brought me a cat even though i didn't want one but then i had something to talk to <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> to entertain me and to keep me busy when with messes or, or whatever. Probably the hardest thing for me to accept coming back single was being in that category, which my husband and I actually did our best, was to minister to single workers, mm. lady workers mm. who mm. are excluded from so many things. And mm. suddenly that's where I was. Like the family's mm. going off to wow, the yeah. so-and-so to do such-and-such. And I'm like, oh, okay. Mm. And also not having a car, because mm. we'd had a car before. So not having a car, so all of a sudden being dependent on not nice taxi drivers yeah. who try to take advantage of single women yeah. in, by overcharging or taking you on a Robin Hood's barn to pay it, get extra money. And those kind of things, I felt like suddenly there was a part of me that had to be firm, Mm. where I don't like to be firm. I like to be gentle. But then I had to say, not in my backyard. That's mm. not happening. Or having a repairman come in to fix something, and he did it. I could tell, and I was trying to tell him he was doing it all wrong. And I actually called this guy in the house I lived in. He was my Harbanji, which means he, he made things worse than when he came. <laughs> so I, ha- I hesitated to ever call him because it was always more broken. Mm. So those are the things that were really where I'm like, really, Lord, I didn't sign up for this.
0: You've been back in the Middle East for four years. Yeah. What did it look like trying to kind of find your niche or find your place back in the Middle East as a widowed woman, a woman who's raised children and seen them all go off? Uh, you know, you've kind of lived your life, and now you're now you're re-entering. Mm into the mission field again. Like, what did that, th- th- was that a hard transition to make as far as like just finding your place? Where do I fit in? I asked the question because I suppose a lot of people coming out, the majority of people who are starting are coming out who are either young couples or young singles, but the, co- the common factor is young.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was still hard for me to find a place here for several reasons, but the fact that when you're married to a doctor, your identity is first that you're married to a doctor mm. and then you're who you are, mm. which is true even in uh, mm. my home country.
0: Your identity is wrapped up in the guy with the DR next yeah, to his name. Yeah,
1: that everybody wants to talk to. And especially if he's uh, as interesting and led as interesting a life and traveled as many places as my husband had.
0: So now you're asking the question, what's my identity?
1: Yeah. You know, I really feel like if my identity had not been forged in Christ Mm. first, that that's uh, that's the key thing, because even here where it was implicated that I couldn't go work in a certain place that I wanted to because I was a single woman Mm. made me really angry. I said, do you mean if I was if my husband was here, it would be a okay to go there? And they were like, yeah. And I'm like, that's just not right. I struggled with that because my identity is in Christ and and the giftings he's given me. If I put my identity in organizations or in titles or in other things, I get disappointed.
0: Yeah, 100%. If your identity is in is in anything <laughs> anything that is uncertain, yeah. changeable or dependent on uh, someone me. or something else, it's a it's a shaky foundation. Mm-hmm. How did your children respond to you saying I want to go to the Middle East?
1: Two of them were like, "Yay, mom. We're going to come visit you for sure." And one? And one is shaking his fist at God. He he's pretty angry at God for losing his father. He has not denied his faith, anything like that, but he's married, his wife communicates with me all the time. She's really loving towards me and my son's issue is probably more with the Lord than with me, but he doesn't he can't lash out against dad, so who's left but mom? Uh, The other two boys keep in touch more, and they struggle with the fact that they were old enough to understand what happened with the company. Days after my husband passed away, they were like, where is everybody? Why, Why does nobody come? Like, why are the people visiting from the PTA at school that you don't know and bringing you meals, but the people at the company where you guys lived, nobody's coming?
0: How did you process that hurt?
1: So I went to Member Care and they uh, confirmed that I wasn't imagining anything, that it was true. And they tried to set up uh, meetings of reconciliation so we could talk things through and they refused. And then one of my uh, big, big, big supporters tried to talk with the, the director and he refused to even talk to him. So he called a the chairman of the board and the chairman of the board was shocked, shocked to hear this was happening. And he made them meet with me with witnesses to try and process it. It didn't go well. And so the chairman of the board, he had just been elected for a two year term and he stepped down. Wow. So then it's my choice. Like, do I choose to forgive? Do I choose to go on?
0: Tell me about that. Tell me about, choosing to forgive
1: you know it's it's a process <laughs> i feel like i have but there's parts of me because i had four different attempts at reconciliation over a period of three years mm. and each one uh, was it did it, it it didn't didn't happen a lack of understanding um it was it was really incredible so now what it means is that further attempts? I'm tired. I'm just tired. I, I don't know that it's worth any further attempts at reconciliation. Sure. The the gentleman who drove my husband to the hospital, we reconciled.
0: Mm, wow.
1: We did. Uh, wow. Amen to that. Yeah. He called me about six or seven months after my husband's death, and he said. I want to reconcile. Hmm. And I said, yeah, right. So I, I said, let me talk to my counselor and see. Hmm. So I talked to her and she said, would he be willing to meet with us together? Hmm. And we did. Well. And what happened was he he started out and he gave me his whole side from his perspective. And then I gave him my perspective and he started weeping. Well. He said, I never saw your perspective. Then I started weeping because I was like, how could you not see my perspective? And he goes, I really didn't. Mm. All I had in my mind were the words of the lawyer and protecting the company from a lawsuit and protecting all the workers from the fact that the company might go under from a lawsuit. Yeah, he said, I didn't understand what it's done to your family and mm. your loss. And um, yeah, we still communicate and we're we're fine wow
0: wow amen that's good that's good to hear as we close what would you what would you say to a spouse who is going through loss what would your what what would your advice be to somebody who has you know been married been on the field maybe Mm. and is now experiencing this the loss of a spouse
1: i realize Everybody's situation is different. A lot of what helped me was reflecting on the incredible 31 years we'd had mm-hmm. and how God had worked so many things for us that other people were amazed at. And I knew that if God could do that, He mm-hmm. was going to do it now again. Mm-hmm. That He is faithful, cling to the promises of His Word and learn anew what it is to be shepherded and uh, my identity, keeping it in the right place.
0: Amen to that. Wow, what a powerful story. I told you it was going to be difficult, but it's good that you made it to the end. It's amazing to see what God is doing in the lives of ordinary people. He makes ordinary people extraordinary, doesn't he? Well, I want to remind you that for you and for me, for both of us, it's okay to be normal.